Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Lenahan here again and this evening I'd like to talk to you about trades. Our family, my father's family, he was a hardness maker, my uncle was a hardness maker, my grandfather was a hardness maker, it was the family trade. My father served his time in Athai in County Kildare and in Athai in County Limerick and again my memory is of a pile of hardness in his workshop that never seemed to get smaller or bigger. And an abiding memory with me is of teasing out old fibre and horsehair for straddles. And the horsehair especially, some of it, not all, some of it, used to be crawling with maggots. Maggots. Because some farmers used to let the thing go until the very end, until the very end. And of course, cat, uh, our horses would be very sweaty under the, under the straddles. And some of them, you know, the maggots would collect there. And I'll never forget it, teasing out that bloody stuff. But how many harness makers are left now? For the racing industry, maybe yes, but it was the small little grey tractors put an end to all of that, just like they did to harness makers' forges. And I remember my father's uh, workshop, and it must have been the same with with 
other hardness makers workshops that were great collecting places for people people to come in and talk on a wet day but all gone uh, there were specialized tools for that kind of work I still have his gauge knife that was for cutting cutting dead straight straps beautiful weapon as I might call it made in Birmingham of course at that time so many of the tools in those days were made in England Birmingham steel they'd be all made in China now if, if they were still available um, there was oh I have those tools but I don't know the names of half of them but I kept them I kept them and the belt I'm wearing right now ah uh, it's it's made by my uncle and I I have his name stamped in it and my uncle God rest him is dead I think nine ten eleven years now and that belt I'll be wearing for the next 20 years if I'm alive the trouble with them was that the stuff they made was too good it was made to last whereas stuff today is made to wear out the next one the next trade is the cooper and couper and there were two kinds of coopers wet cooper and the dry cooper uh, he was the the fonsoer and Cooper and Augustin Fonsoir. Now you'd say, what was the difference between a wet Cooper and a dry Cooper? Well, there was a big difference because the wet Cooper was for things like uh, porter, like Guinness, and, uh, for example, much nearer home, uh, for putting in the pig. When the pig was salted, uh, it had to be put into the wet Cooper's barrel because the salt water had to be put in with that. And the dry cooper, that was where the butter was put into, into the, the firkin, to be taken to the butter market. So every village had one or more coopers. Uh, they were very skilled, uh, sk very, very skilled people. Uh, why? Because, just like the wheelmaker, the things had to fit exactly. The casks had to be able to hold moisture, so that the staves, so the staves had to be shaped precisely so that they'd meet exactly where that they were supposed to meet at each end and mm, there was plenty of demand as I say for bacon for butter anywhere there was a butter market it had to be taken there in firkins all made by coopers now uh, how was it taken it slung over the horses backs originally or later of course in horse carts uh, the butter road to Cork well, miles and miles, I remember from where, where I'm from, in Brosna, in County Kerry, it was taken all the way down to Cork, and that was a lonesome road down by Nad, down by, down by, all, not quite through Bally Desmond, but it made its way down eventually through Mallow, uh, best part of 50 miles. And, oh, nobody would interfere with you when you were going. <laughs> what did they want butter for? But on the way back, when they knew you had money, that's the time the highwaymen would be looking out for you. And so that's the reason why several people travelled together, because it offered some kind of protection against those, those fellows who would be out to rob you. 
So it was dangerous, but it was lonesome work because a lot of the the countryside through which they travelled was lonesome and law and order wasn't in those days perhaps what it ought to be. Next is the basket maker. Now the basket maker was the Coilador and in the age before plastic this was an extremely important trade. You see plastic has taken over the world too much so because everywhere we go Plastic is there before us, and under us, and over us, and behind us. It's a cost to us nowadays, in spite of the fact that it is so, so convenient. But too much so, because plastic has become a pollutant. Just as in the case of the Thatcher, this tradesman might keep a garden of Sally Rods. I've seen a couple of them, and very, very proudly tended by their owners too. Uh, the Thatcher might be called on to make donkey creels for bringing turf out of a bog in places that would be too soft for a horse to go. Uh, uh, so the donkey, being much lighter, could go in there. Uh, he'd be called on to make pookines. Pookines were little baskets for the snouts of calves to stop them sucking their mother, the cow. Uh, He'd be called on to make cages for birds, lob lobster pots, cradles for children. All of the, those were parts of his trade. Uh, take a look at the new stamps, the new issue of stamps that are out now, a hundred things, and you'll see one of the products of his trade there, one of the cradles for a child. Beautiful, beautiful work that a skilled uh, basket maker pro could produce. Now, the next one was the tinker, the tinker, and the tinker was the tinsman, and of course the tinsmith, and he was always welcome, because in an age when nothing was wasted, it was, well, it was welcome to have somebody who could repair as well as make, and you see, there was always a bucket of well water inside every door on a kind of a stand that time, and a tin pony close by and ready to uh, sprout a leak or lose a handle. I remember long ago when I used to go into my grandfather and grandmother's house, there at the left-hand side inside the door, the little stand and the pony of water. And it was for, of course, travelling people as well who would be passing the road. They were always welcome since... Practically everybody was walking or cycling uh, to go in and take a, a, a drop of well water. Something cool to quench your thirst. But uh, if the handle fell off of the thing, sure, of course, the, the tinsman was a great person to have uh, to come in to fix it. So, plastic. Plastic was the curse again that dealt a death blow to all of that. And a pity, because these travelling men... These tinsmen, they were welcome, the old-time tinkers, and I never heard otherwise anywhere I went. They had stories from far-off corners of Ireland, since they travelled it constantly. They knew dangerous places on the road by night, they knew haunted places, they knew places where it wasn't safe to pull in, they, they knew strangers, they knew different counties, they were the ones who brought the news. 
before television, before people had the radio, there were, as I say, there were welcome people. People knew them because they came around two or three times maybe in the course of the year. People knew them by name. All gone. All gone. Next one was the nailer. The nailer. Now, in my inquiries about nailers, there isn't a great lot that I found out, except, of course, uh, the the Shanochel as busy as a nailer. That's all practically that's left. Although a few old people could tell me a little bit more how, for example, the bars of metal used to come and thin metal and how long they used to be and how the nailers used to chop it, heat it of course, and they used to chop it, chop, 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 chop. Uh, they had to be fast, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, how could they make many of them? Uh, that's why it was as busy as a nailer, and then they'd squared the heads like horse nails. They were a kind of a blacksmith, really, except their work was quite, quite different. Next was the hatter on hat air. Uh, the, uh, the nailer, by the way, was in far nowhere. The hatter was on hat air. And you all know, as mad as a hatter. And that was because of the mercury that was used in the fabric. But I never met any old person who knew one of that kind of uh, the trade. Never met any person who practised the trade. And I suspect that... That was because it wasn't a country trade. Most of the, tra uh, the, the the hats that came in were probably from cities or maybe they were made in quantity, maybe in England, in factories or such. Hats were more for the gentry or for the respectable professions. It was caps. It was caps for the people further down along the social scale. Next was uh, the potter and pottery. And there's something very odd here. Pots are an obvious necessity. Yet I never heard a mention of any local potters. Now we all know about Carrigaline pottery and what happened to Carrigaline pottery, I'm not sure. It seems to have gone away off the market. Maybe, I don't know what. But that was a company. But I never heard of any mention of any local potters. Now, only in recent years have local potters come into vogue again. But that's a touristy thing. And because people have ready cash to spare. But in times gone by... Our pottery tended to come, well, mass-produced, of course, from the potteries, those towns in the British Midlands, uh, towns like uh, Burslem and places like that. I have some beautiful items, all numbered, which were passed down from my grandmother. Very practical in their day, I'm sure, but museum pieces now, to me, and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even use them in case they get broken. Big, big cooking dishes, uh, pottery ones, beautiful, beautiful things. But 
One of the favourite patterns, of course, in times gone by was the willow pattern. And an odd thing, there was an excavation done uh, last year here locally in uh, County Clare, where I'm living now, of a pre-famine cottage. And when, in the course of the excavation, they found fragments of this willow pattern uh, pottery, I was beginning to wonder how, because it was a tiny cottage and there was practically nothing in it. And you'd say to yourself, how could these people afford pottery? of a willow pattern, where did it come from? Uh, was it because maybe somebody there worked for a local uh, landlord, gentry family, a servant perhaps? I don't know, maybe it, it, it begged some questions anyway. Uh, it seemed to be, oh, it seemed as I say to be quite, quite out of place in such a tiny, tiny cottage. How could they have afforded pottery at all? Never mind willow pattern pottery, which seems to be, you know, quite quality stuff. Maybe somebody from there worked in one of the local uh, uh, gentry uh, houses, because there's quite a few of them around, as a servant girl or a servant uh, lad, you know, as a stable buyer, whatever, and could have brought home, you know, stuff that was thrown out, pottery that got cracked or broken or whatever. I don't know. Uh, quite an enigma. The next one is the plumber, from the Latin word plumbum, lead. And all of our pipes, of course, were lead one time. That's where the word plumber gets its name, plumber. And rarely, I rarely, rarely heard of them in all my collecting. And of course the reason is pretty obvious, because there was no indoor plumbing in olden days. All the plumbing was in the street, in pumps. And, as one old man told me during the Troubles, water was rationed in the pumps in many towns. In other words, just turned off in the evening. And I suppose the the logic to that was that they didn't want people going out and risking getting shot during the curfew. Yeah, it made good sense, I suppose. Yeah, the old joke, the old joke, as 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 people will have heard about the the uh, woman who went to America and came home years and years later and asked how well. How have things changed? Have you noticed? What's the biggest change you've noticed? Oh, wow, she said, the biggest change I've noticed that when, when I was going to America, we, we, we ate in and shut out. And now we shit in and ate out. So I suppose, yes, there are big changes now. Plumbers are all the go. Oh, there are plenty of work, but there was no such thing in the old days. There was no, no reason for plumbers. Next would be, I suppose, clockmakers and watchmakers, Uridori. 
It was only after the famine, uh, or in other words, in the second half of the 19th century, that enough Catholics became prosperous enough to encourage an influx of European skilled craftsmen like watch and clockmakers, many of them, of course, of German origin. Look at some of the names, even today, and many of them are of German origin. You can tell by the names, you can tell. But whatever about them, they're no longer watchmakers, but repairers. Now, an exception might be uh, Stokes clocks in Cork. Um, they still, I think, are one of the very few that still make clocks. Most other uh, clock makers, so-called, are just clock repairers. Uh, the proof of that is, I was given a watch one time, oh, back in the 1960s, by a grand uncle of mine. Uh, it was a sore, S-O-W-A-R, a great watch, wonderful watch, but a couple of years ago it gave up. And I took it into many and many and many a shop here. No, no chance, couldn't be, couldn't be fixed. And I was in London and I took it into this watchmaker. I didn't expect indeed that anything could be done after hearing of all the things I heard here. But this old man was behind the counter and he took a look at it and, ah, he said, Saul, 1929. He knew precisely by looking at it, 1929. And he reeled me out of what it was. It was a, it was a precursor of, oh, I forget what it was, a precursor of these famous modern watches. And he said a new part. He told me what was wrong. A new part would have to be made for it. Oh, so, mm, problem. Uh, I sent it to Germany. They could do nothing. But I sent it to Malaysia. I was advised. And sure enough, in Chinatown, in Malaysia, because my son was out working in Kuala Lumpur, he brought it down to Chinatown in Malaysia. And sure enough, they were able to make a part for it down in Chinatown, fixed it. So, it looks like in Europe anymore we aren't either prepared to or not able to do the necessaries. Where we call ourselves makers and all the rest. We have the names, but we don't have the ability to do this, that or the other thing. So, uh, the watch and makers etc and uh, not there not there anymore but the names certainly the names uh, were well they were all from Europe originally the next one would be the instrument makers oh glass uh, glass Yes, in country places, bowerons, of course, were made. And occasionally fiddles. 
but for the more complicated instruments, for example, melodions, accordions, concertinas, flutes, no. Even though these were made, uh, they were used very commonly for dances, naturally, house dances and all that, no. Until recent years, where the necessary equipment and constant electricity, of course, no, they weren't made. No, they were too complicated. Uh, next, what about, even though many people mightn't agree with this, cattle drovers, draviere. You see, in the age before trucks to collect your cattle in your yard, uh, well, what did you do? To make sure your cattle were brought safely to wherever you wanted them to go, we'll say a fair, or to the railway. How did you make sure that they'd get there safely? Well, somebody you could trust was a vital person. Distances walked, dangers faced, usually in the dead hours of night. I tell you, they could be substantial. I spoke to a few of those cattle drovers and the stories they could tell about this worldly. Now that was of course about skill with cattle on those long roads. Or stories about the other worldly. They'd put your hair standing on your head if you had hair. Yet mostly they hardly regarded theirs as a trade. Although of course it was since most of them had served a long, long apprenticeship, yet they were almost to a man, proud of their skills with people, with animals, and with their detailed knowledge of Irish roads. But, alas, all, all gone. Now, an unusual one was the sieve maker. Uh, a or Clear. You see, in every building site you'll go into, cement and sand have to be mixed. Of course, nowadays everything comes prepared, or if it isn't, there's a machine to prepare it. But in times gone by, if a fine finish was needed for plaster work, the sand had to be screened to get out the stones, and that was done with a sieve. Uh, a screen, we used to call it in Kerry. The same thing. People have different names in different places for things. Uh, it was a circle of timber with mesh wire attached to it at the bottom. And the mesh could be as fine or as coarse as you needed. You put in your gravel and shock it. And out came the sand, leaving the stones inside. Simple but effective. It wouldn't do on the huge building sites of today, but handy in its time and place. Of course, there were several tradesmen who could make this. Carpenter, boron maker, for example. Now, only once did I hear of a man who made a living from supplying builders with him. So I suppose, yes, it could be called a, a trade. Uh, the next one I included here, or we'll say the next ones I included here, are... The silversmiths, goldsmiths and jewellers. The go-gal, the go-or and the show-door. 
Now, that might be said to be a special case, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they worked with materials who were out of the reach of ordinary people. They were very luxury items. And nextly, they originally belonged to guilds, not trades, with their own rules, regulations and meeting places. For example, the Derry Guild Hall. And next, very often they came into Ireland from abroad. Uh, also, Germany in the 19th century. Uh, for example, look at their names. Uh, you had, for example, H. Samuel in Limerick. You had Hartman in Kilrush. You had Hilser in Tralee and in Cork, which was established in 1860. You had Maurer in Ennis. You had Wolfgang Gabe in Cork. And there are plenty, plenty others all over the country. And there's no Irish names in those. And I think you'll find that some of those are Jewish names. They may have had trouble in their own country and decided to come to Ireland, which was a relatively safe country, and practice their, their trade here. And the fact that so many of them are still in business today is a tribute to their work ethic and changing spending habits and patterns in the second half of the 19th century in Ireland. You see, previous to the famine, Catholics by and large, they wouldn't have had the money to avail of their services. But after the famine, and even more so after the land wars and the land acts of the 1880s and 1890s, Catholics they had come up in the world and jewellery began to appear on dresses, necks, fingers. You'll see it in old photographs, a sure sign of status. Now, take for example the, the silversmith, the Gower Gal. Of course, the silversmith's craft has been with us through all the ages, since it's a material that can be worked according to the skill of the practitioner and it isn't so expensive as gold. One has only to look at the Ad or the Derinaflan chalices. Uh, then move on to the, in modern times, the Sam Maguire or the Liam McCarthy or any of the other mo modern famous sports trophies. The vast, vast majority are silver, not gold, and mm, for reasons too obvious to state, like theft, insurance, but the one thing they all have in common is the durability of the metal they're made of and the individuality of their design. Now, the goldsmith. Mm, not so with goldsmiths, though in my 44 years of collecting, I've never come across one story about this trade. Maybe... It was out of reach of those I spoke to, but I don't think so, no. It's just that so-called bootmakers... <laughs> it's just that bootmakers don't make boots anymore. They just repair them. The same with goldsmiths. They no longer actually... They don't get sheets of gold and make the jewellery. They just repaired broken jewellery. What about, well, what about the jewellers themselves? 
the shoulders. Well, southerns, half southerns, for example, in Edwardian times, in Victorian times, those same, those same coins, if they were possessed, <laughs> that had been needed to pay the rent. But as times got better, they were used a bit for show. They were used a bit for show. And if you buy any of those coins today, you look at them carefully and you'll see that there's a fair lot of wear on them, which shows that they were being used for circulation. For circulation. As times went on into the Georgian age, George V, etc. Mm, not so much, you know, people began to use them for a little bit of showing off. Times had got better. Now, uh, an unusual thing, an unusual thing I got one time. A house was being demolished. A sad thing too. And a house was being built on the same site. It was an old thatched house that had fallen into a ruin. The thatch was collapsing. And when the house was being demolished, in the thatch was found ten five-shilling pieces, uh, crowns, and they were all from the late Victorian age, between 1889 and 1893. And obviously somebody had put them in hide. And it would make you wonder, what were they for? Well, was it somebody who was hiding them against the bad day? Was it somebody who had hidden them there to pay the rent? Was it somebody who had hidden them to pass them on to the child on uh, as a wedding present? God only knows. But I thought, as I had those in my hand, what, what a sad thing. I got a mass set for the poor devil who owned them. I, it was the least I could do. A very sad thing indeed. Because, because they, in their day, around 1890, were a fortune. Because in those days, a workman's wages were roughly five shillings a week, if he was lucky. So, ten crowns, 50 shillings. Tot it up yourself. Quite, quite a bit of saving. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.